Hello and welcome to the Scapegoat Podcast, the podcast where we see who gets the blame and who gets away with murder. Today uh, we have a very special guest. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I'm, I'm Jerry McCann. Um, you, some people might know me from the Not Another Fake Newscast podcast, um, and some folk might just think I'm Madeline McCann's dad. I am not Madeline McCann's dad. <laughs> yes, um, we had your co-host Paul on for what should be the last episode gone up, where we were talking about Jar Jar Binks and uh, soldiers, but today we're talking about another soldier, Captain Tom Moore the NHS funder. So he recently died and he's been in the news. So just to give a quick summary, due to the fact that we've got a lot of listeners in America and Australia, the thing about Captain Tom Moore was he was a man who during lockdown, just before it was 100th birthday, he decided he wanted to raise £1,000 for a COVID charity. So he said, like, you know, to do this, he would do 100 laps of his garden. Now, as you can imagine, someone very close to his 100th birthday, he did. He had mobility issues. So he was walking with a walker. He's having an awful lot of trouble. But he was doing the 100 laps slowly day after day. And as the campaign picked up, he got more and more, you know, people sponsoring him. So quickly, he, you know, surpassed the £1,000 goal, went up to 10000 so by the time that he was doing like the 100th, the money was up above 30 million pounds and had been widely reported in the media. And by the time he was doing his final lap, they sent out like soldiers because he was a former soldier himself to you know, give him a guard of honor doing this. So it was a whole bunch of like patriotism for this old man trying to raise money for the NHS and then about four months after he did this, he ended up having to go to hospital. He got COVID and he quickly died. So, aye, that's that's part of the story of how he how he got COVID, I suppose. Really, though, isn't it? Um, it's important to mention that he he was he was him and his family were flown to Barbados by British Airways as some kind of I don't know whether it was a PR stunt. Obviously, it was a goodwill gesture and stuff as well, but. Um, you know, British Airways decided to send the family to Barbados and he picked up COVID on his trip um, and came back and subsequently um, perished, unfortunately. So, yeah. I hadn't heard about the Barbados trip, so that was part of a publicity stunt? Well, I mean, like, you could call it a publicity stunt, you could call it what you want, but yeah, he went, he, he picked up COVID in Barbados. British Airways had flown him and his kind of extended family over there um, over Christmas, man, so... So yeah, they were they were out kind of enjoying themselves, and I, I mean, like in in some ways, I suppose it's a, a nice way to spend your your uh, your last fucking Christmas with your with your family and what have you, um, in the sunny yeah. climes of Barbados. But I'm not 100 percent sure it was the the smartest move for somebody who's definitely in the uh, at risk category, given the age and what what have you. Well, you know, I can kind of see people yoloing it at that stage. Depending on his health, he could be like. I know I'm dying in the next year. I'd rather spend, you know, three weeks in Barbados and go three months early. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't really argue with that. I also can't, I can't sit here and say that I definitely wouldn't have been like free trip to Barbados. I fuck it, I'll get it a go. You know, you know, it's it's really difficult because like 
you know, I'm not talking about free trips to Barbados, but it's kind of like you're looking at like visiting parents or visiting people and you're thinking, you know, should I risk this? Should I go out and like, you know, should I go back home for Christmas? You know, uh, should I, you know, stay put? And you're kind of looking at these things and thinking like, here, like this is what you can legally do. And then there's what you morally should do. And it's a difficult one. Yeah. As man, as in like, like certainly full disclosure. We we travelled to Northern Ireland for for Christmas, like and spent time with my wife's family. Um, maybe maybe that was not the wisest thing to do, but you know, we we decided it was something that we were going to do. I think it's something that you did in a very safe way, though, for the sake of saying that, like, if you took the ferry, like, and you didn't really mix, it's not the same as, for instance, taking a plane or. Yeah. doing anything like that you're probably putting yourself at a lot less risk yeah well touch wood we seem to have uh, it was it was a good wee while ago none nobody caught covid so it, it worked out all right um unlike captain tom unfortunately so yeah like i mean what are you what are you thinking what are you thinking about the the whole scenario i would have an awful lot of time for like the idea of captain tom for like being like that old and trying to raise money, like trying to raise the one thousand pounds. But my whole thing is that Captain Tom or Captain Sir Tom, and I think he was made above captain. I think he's now he was put up to like a major or a colonel or something. He, for me, the whole thing is that he did a very good thing, but an awful lot of the situation was based off. The fact that uh, first the NHS has been terribly overfunded in the last ten years, that like the money was actually needed. Underfunded, I. Yeah, sorry, yeah. did I say funded? It was terribly underfunded by the Conservative government the last ten years, so the yeah. money was actually needed. It ended up being funded, you know, by people who kind of like they took they kind of took Captain Tom as a symbol was really just the people paying into their own health service to try and yeah. make things better while, like, which, you know. Which they already do pay for. I mean, like, yeah, I think I think regardless of how politically I feel about it, because I'm the same as you, I don't think that we should be relying on charitable donations to run our health service. Like, I think it's a fucking sad state of affairs. But... That doesn't change the fact that I think what he did was a good thing. I think he he seems to have you know been a decent man, um, who yeah. who was doing his best to try and do something good, man, and, and fair play to him. I'm sure when I'm a hundred, there's if I if I get anywhere near it, I probably won't be running a hundred laps around my house, like. But yeah, but yeah, like I, I was pretty quickly co-opted by a government which was under like serious criticism for its handling the COVID crisis and whatever as a kind of feel-good story. I guess that's why the nation maybe kind of took it to, into their heart and stuff as well, because it was like, oh, well, you know, look at him. Um, it was something to kind of cheer everybody up, something that everybody could rally behind. Um, and for, for a government in a, a time of crisis, that's that's gold. And they suddenly seized upon it and, and got the PR machine behind it pretty swiftly. Like, Yeah. Because you've got to take, like, the thing I kind of find ridiculous is they're saying that, you know, Captain Tom made this money. The whole charitable thing did make the money. But in comparison, like, what was it, almost 10 times the amount of money 
was spent on making an NHS app for COVID, which was pretty much the money being pissed up the wall almost intentionally. I think it was. I think that cost about nine billion, man. Or, or was that the was that the, the was that the app or was that the track and trace? But, track and but trace. They spent, yeah, yeah. They spent nine billion on that. Didn't work. So yeah, we've we've certainly wasted a lot of cash and given a lot of cash to uh, to friends uh, and donors of the of the Conservative Party and stuff as well. But you know, that's no great surprise. That's the thing that I'm a wee bit terrified of is the money that. Uh, Captain Tom made will probably be given off as like a tax refund to like ten of Boris Johnson's friends. But you back I mean, to square one. This is the thing. So they're talking about they're talking about building a statue of him and stuff as well, right? Now, yeah. like, I would have thought, given um, given what what the guy was doing in his kind of last days, that he would prefer for that money to be spent on NHS. And treatment, or you know, like I, I, it's easy. It's pretty easy to remember the guy by like naming a hospital after him or something. If, if you want to go down that route, without like kind of wasting money and building a, a statue, I'm not a, not a great believer in statues necessarily anyway. But you know, that's that's just my opinion. Well, you know, there's been certain elements on right wing Twitter who have been talking about the hypothetical statue, then talking about oh when will the people be tearing the statue down and you're just like they haven't even built it or put money into it and you're already talking this sort of you know wait was captain tom a slave on no but like that's pretty much what oh. the people are arguing it's like oh you have to hear first kids because they tore down uh the churchill statue and they did all this sort of stuff that they're saying oh like black lives matter will have a go at major tom which is just like uh, I kind of don't think that he's their priority, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not hundred percent sure why he'd be on the the BLM radar. To be honest, unless he like unless he chokes out a black man in custody, uh, you know, or we, or we find out that he was just running around battering black folk with Zimmer in his his last days. Maybe that's why he went to Barbados to remind to remind everybody about the colonial times. The way I would just kind of look at this is. The co-opting of this has kind of been a wee bit, you know, that's the kind of main story to me, that it's been a bit of a, a sickener because, you know, the second that he died, he's kind of being used by an awful lot of people as a kind of like a rhetorical patriotic uh, device almost. It's kind of like, yeah. oh, Captain Tom would have wanted this because, you know, the thing I kind of found was, they kind of co-opted the Clap for Carers campaign, which was a campaign which at the very start of COVID, people for the first 10 weeks went out and, you know, what was it, on Thursdays at 8 o'clock, they'd go outside their doors and they clap for a minute to kind of show their appreciation for, like, NHS workers and uh, key staff. And this only lasted for 10 weeks, but then... Boris Johnson was telling people that they, you know, must go outside. And I think it was. He was using, like, one of those kind of, like, you know, it wasn't like you should. It was something like, we will all go outside and we will all clap for Captain Tom. And you're like, maybe you shouldn't be co-opting that campaign. And, yeah. You know. Like, it, I mean, for me, for me, it's just jingoistic clap trap, to be honest with you, man. I, uh, 
I, I very much support NHS workers and carers. I didn't get involved in the clap at 8 o'clock at any point throughout COVID. I showed my support and always show my support for NHS workers and carers by voting for political parties that fucking choose to fund them and uh, and have policies around, you know, making sure that they, they get wage rises and stuff that they that they need and deserve. Um yeah, it's not it's not for me. Uh there was a like obviously in, in the neighborhood and stuff like that. It seemed it seemed to me like it was it was getting competitive. Like every week folk would be getting noisy and noisy. There was folk shooting fireworks after like four weeks and then, you know, and they were banging pots and pans together. It was like, come see how much I care. I care more than you. It was a bit weird, man. I'm not really into that. No, I mean, like, it was the same around my place that, like, there was everyone. But it almost was kind of had the opposite effect because, like, I don't know, like, would you live where the houses are, like, would be separated by quite a bit of distance or would it be, like, would the houses be quite close to each other? So, so my street is actually, like, I guess, yeah, I... There's there detached houses in my street, um, so yeah, there's a fair a, a wee bit of distance and stuff like that. But I know like round the corner and stuff, like where my cousins and stuff live, you know, uh, the houses are a lot closer together. And I definitely, I think if you're in in that kind of area, then it was like more competitive because it, and, and almost like you're being judged by people and stuff as well. Whereas we could kind of get away with it a bit more where where we're at. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, uh, where I was with my parents at the time was, yeah. like, it was detached houses as well, but depended on the distance. Like, you know, the amount of people who would kind of use it as a social occasion to come over and speak. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, here, this could be a spreader event. And the most ridiculous thing was, I remember I was slagged off for, like, uh, not going out to it like you know why i was said like oh you don't care and i was like i'm a key worker i'm literally the pe- one of the people you're clapping for yeah yeah i'm not gonna go out and clap for myself <laughs> i can't be bothered <laughs> so you know that's that but like you know it's just been a it's just been a strange one but uh yeah no these it's like i don't know if you find this but like as COVID's kind of gone on. It's kind of gotten into different stages that, like, there seemed to be a great deal of energy around, like, the clap for carers and people were trying. And then it hit last October and you had, like, what was it, eat out to help out? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, has always been, has always been my, my main sexual goal. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you have to help out. You know, it's just but, fair, fair. Well, you know, if you can get 50% off while you do it. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure that um, that, that was a, a particularly wise idea. In fact, I think the evidence kind of proves that it definitely wasn't. Um, yeah, like we were we were basically given discount to go and, and, and spread COVID and start us, make sure this second wave um, really hit the heights. Like, but I mean, in saying that, I went out something like four or five times for it because, you know, I've been cooped up inside for six months and I was just like, oh, you can go out to a nice restaurant and get food? Okay. Like, you know, you don't really think of it at the time. No, but of course everybody was, like, or, or certainly most people did that. To be honest, like, I didn't, well, I know 
like members of my family and stuff were, were going out a fair bit, like my, my parents and stuff like that. Um, we were a bit, we were quite cautious because I just, yeah, I had, I, I was not sure how it was going to go and I was fairly certain that it was going to be a second wave and stuff like that. So I kind of caught carry on it. But yeah, there's part of me that wishes I, I did make more of it when I had the opportunity, given that I've been stuck at home now since October, essentially. And it's, doing my head in. But, you know, it would have made more sense to me. It's like, you know, eat in, stay at home, and, like, help the restaurant industry that way. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I, I, mean, I mean, I guess what it came down to, realistically, was that there was a lot of pressure on the government in terms of lobbying from, that, from the hospitality sector, that they hadn't been given enough help. Um, and we know that the Tories, while they're, they're great at writing checks for particular sectors of society um, when things go wrong, I guess hospitality wasn't one that they were prepared to really bail out. Um, and this was this was kind of a halfway house where they were. It was a, it was a means for them to sort of try and promote business and stuff and get get the sector off their back in terms of criticising them. You know what I mean? And try and generate a bit of income for them. But I mean, like, but ultimately. They've they've had a hand in causing the second wave, which is going to put far more of these uh, small small restaurants, small hotels, and stuff like that, pubs, clean out of business forever. So it's not really worked out great for them in the long run. There's people, for instance, like Tim Martin, who was the head of Wiverspoons. Oh, I really really like him. He's great. Oh, he's such a likable man. <laughs> You know, um, he's the Peter String fellow of, of of cheap and nasty pubs. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, like, there wouldn't be a Wiverspoons close to me. But whenever, like, I don't know if I said this on the podcast, but like, I moved to Leeds in England, so uh, I kind of when I went over there, you know, it was the first of September. And it was just, you know, it was there was a kind of weird bubble just towards the end of the summer that it was over by the end of September that people kind of were starting to feel safe enough that they could go out. So, yeah. you know, we went over and then just kind of said, like, here, you know, let's, you know, let's have a goodbye drink. And we ended up going into a Wiverspoons for it. And the thing was, it was full of Tory propaganda, as in, like, there was all these sorts of like things saying thank you to the chancellor and all this sort of stuff and says like you know oh get a fried egg special it's kind of like you know the rishi special and all this sort of stuff and it's like this is the most ridiculous shit uh, it's pretty weird like like i've i've yeah for for such a large pub chain to be sort of actively campaigning on behalf of the government is bizarre really he was he was oh, mad anti-brexit and stuff like that as well and he's like been very vocal about his politics kind of the last four or five years he'll probably end up joining ukip or something like that but um but yeah it's it's just no something it's not something that you'd normally associate with like going out for a pint and a bite to eat is uh is, is having mad right-wing propaganda thrown in your throat you know i this is the first time i've ever lived in england so it's kind of like i was just like I don't know if this is just maybe a Northern Irish stereotype, but like, you know, you kind of walk in and this is your first real time in England. Like, it's the first time I've been in England for maybe 13 years. Because, right. you know, I'm not often in England. 
I walk into like, you know, pub and it's just like, you know, union jacks everywhere. And we're like, we love the charge of the exchequer. And here's like <laughs> me from the West, Northern Ireland being like, oh, is this what the English are like now? Uh, like even I just, yeah, I find, I find that level of enthusiasm for any politician or political party fucking odd, man, to be honest. Like I never like... In Scotland, you get a lot. You get a lot of these marches for Scottish independence, right? Like people go on and wave the flags about and stuff like that. I've never really, never really bought into that, man. I think that like down that way, madness lies. Like if you're, if flag shaggers are are weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like I'm I'm from Northern Ireland. It's like anyone who's overly invested in the flag is. You know, they always tend to be fagging mad as hats. Yeah. Flags. I thought they were called flags over there. (laughs) No, it's kind of like they took our flag because they took (laughs) the Union Jack off the Belfast City Hall. And then you've kind of got the Sinn Féinor trying to push uh, putting the Irish flag onto different buildings and stuff. And that goes down well. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. But it's like. You know, it's just the dumbest thing because people are just like, you know, ah, da. You know, it's like the American thing, ah, da for that flag. And I was like, there is not a single piece of material that I would die for. No, man, me neither. And, you know, even if I was going to die and you said, look, you can die for the English flag, the Irish flag, or maybe this like really, really nice, like Levi pair of jeans, you know, like. A proper like 160 pound pair of jeans like you know real expensive and says you can take one of these if you survive you can take one of them with you you go for the jeans every time you wouldn't you wouldn't make yourself a, a wee a nice wee mini skirt out of the union jack and dress yourself up like jerry halliwell in the mid 90s no well you know the longer covid goes on and the lockdown goes on you know i might need to find ways to entertain myself well just make sure you send the pictures my way well, yeah. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> if you and uh, if you and Paul are interested in joining my Spice Girls themed drag act, then you know, just send me DMs. I'll mention it to Johnny and Shane as well. Yeah. Um. um who would? I'm not sure who I would be. Well, I, I, like my inclination would be towards Scary Spice, but I think that would be a bit fraught with danger in in the current climate. Well, you know, I, it wouldn't be the one I would naturally go towards. I don't know why, but it suddenly hit me in the face now that uh, Paul would be Baby Spice for some reason because of the beard. Yeah, I I think almost 100%. Like, and there's definitely photos of him cutting about in pigtails and stuff back in the day. So, so yeah, 100%. I think he would, he would lap that up. I, uh, I guess I, I guess I'd just go Sporty Spice because it'd be easy. I just need to stick a tracksuit on and do a, do a cartwheel or something. She's the safest one. She's the only one that could actually sing in any meaningful way, even though they were all quite shite. Well, you know, it's the same as any of these sorts of girl bands that, like, you know, it's always the one people are like, you know, oh, you know, she's a bit off. And you're just like, oh, because she's the one who can actually sing. The ugly one's always the best singer. Is that what you're saying? Remember this Club 7? Do you remember this Club 7? That yeah. doll who like ge- genuinely like, and I, I don't mean to be misogynistic, but she was not a looker. Um, but she was the only one. She was the only one that could sing. Joe O'Meara. Yeah, I mean, like Bradley could rap a bit as well, but like I get what you mean. But like, 
<laughs> I, love, I love the way you're jumping in, jumping in to defend members of S Club 7. No, actually, I think you'll find Bradley was pretty talented. Oh, was she? Well, you know, yeah, no, but I mean, like, speaking of, like, now, like, one of the things I've kept reading when I was reading about Captain Tom was uh, people just referring to him as a national treasure. And you know who was the person who always sticks out in my head when people say, oh, she's a national treasure? Is it you know? Jade Goody? No. We're, no. I mean, right. I was going to say worse, but maybe not. So uh, Cheryl Cole or Cheryl whatever, mm -hmm. she calls herself Tweety. But they're there is there is a there is a through line here. There's definitely a thread that they're all a bit racist. Maybe not Captain Tom, but I hope not. I hope not Captain Tom. Well, I mean, Captain Tom didn't beat up like uh, a toilet attendant because of the color of their skin at the very start of their career. And maybe you know the NHS wouldn't have received so much money if he did. You don't know what he was up to in Burma. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, like, <laughs> I would, I would like to say that that Captain Tom almost certainly did not batter a toilet attendant during his time <laughs> in service in Burma. But I mean, the thing about it that I find so bizarre is is the fact that if you think about it, he was something like twenty five, twenty six when he was in Burma, and I'm looking at this like five years older than that and being like, here, like, <laughs> being a captain in Burma and all this sort of stuff, you know, if something happened. You know, so long ago it would just be impossible. But like, yeah, I'd say yeah. kind of seemed like a legit guy. But again, there's you know what's kind of like the thing for me about uh, Captain Tom is is I know the absolute bare minimum about him. As in, you know, it's kind of like for him, he kind of like appears that like I haven't heard him speak. Have you heard him speak? No, no, I've never heard him speak. I was just, I was just wondering, you know, as a, as a, obviously Captain Tom served his time in Burma as a young man, um, and I just wondered if there was any connection between the military coup and Captain Tom passing away. If they were like, right, he's gone, let's go, we can take it now. Do you think that's, you think that's possible? Well, you know, I think that stranger things have happened. That uh, the Myanmar government were probably, you know keeping a close look on uh captain tom and thought like here the captain tom is such a good guy that he'll swoop in and stop us discriminating against the Uyghur population is it actually the rohingya muslims and uh, the rohingya yeah, sorry the rohingyas so like the second he died they were like military coup so he can discriminate against the rohingyas and tell them to go back to bangladesh even though they've lived here for hundreds and hundreds of years the, uh, but yeah, no, you were you were you were in the middle of, kind of talking about um, the fact that like you haven't heard them speak. I haven't heard them speak either, man. But like you know, that's the thing about him is he's kind of such a symbol. He's an old man who is walking with a walker and has got medals on him. It's so mm. easy to kind of just you know, it's like to superimpose like. Oh, he was Alec Guinness from the Bridge of Beyond the River Choir or whatever, you know. You kind of don't know. Again, the, that's what I kind of think the important thing about Captain Tom to me is, is he was a nice symbol. But again, what I would kind of like to focus on the most is he did a good thing by trying to do the 100 laps, but it was yeah. the public who kind of came out and rose to try and donate money 
and you know donate money to try and help this and that's the kind of spirit it's not really one person it's kind of like it's just the people need to kind of like come out and try and like you know help themselves because unfortunately it looks like this government isn't going to do that so do you think that like maybe maybe the fact that like we don't really know that much about him that we haven't really heard them speak makes it easier for everybody to project their own um sort of ideal of of what a good person is and uh auntie captain tom and kind of hero worshiping in that way like it, it's it's weird for me to like that people are hero worship hero worshiping him to such a huge extent like obviously i think he's done an amazing thing but the fact that like I, I, he could be a blithering idiot for all I know. Like I've literally never heard him speak a sentence. So, like I find it odd when people kind of get obsessive and like you know really fanatical about you know pop stars, for example. But at least in in the instance of like say for talking say Miley Cyrus or Justin Bieber or Ariana Grande, people will have like listened to a lot of interviews from them. They've got a glimpse into what their personality is they've decided that it's something that they like and they want to scream and whatever for them and send them fan mail grand battering not my thing but fair enough but to feel the same way about somebody who you literally know nothing about is again fucking weird to me that is very it is actually very strange when you come to think about it it's kind of like again it's it's almost like in a bizarre way He's a very, you know, it's kind of like the more you hear about him, the kind of less you kind of know because it's, he seems like a very ethereal character that it's just like, oh, he walked this and, you know, then his daughter will put out a statement on Twitter and then you'd say, oh, and he met the Queen and Prince Philip and, you know, and then he did this and then he did that. But it's not like, you know, it's not like you hear like a heartfelt thing being like, in 1948, I met Nye Bevan, and Nye Bevan told me the NHS is the greatest institution in Britain and it should be funded. You know, it's kind of like if he said something like that, you'd be like, okay, well, like, here, this person, like, deeply cares about this aspect or that aspect. Because, like, yeah, you know, it's weird to question motivation because he did do a good thing, but you kind of wonder, did he do, did he do this because he loves the NHS? Did he do this because... He kind of felt the public spirits needed an uplift in the mood. You know, it's kind of like, it's very even hard, but you can, you know, you put your own idea of what his motivation would be on him. And, you know, it might not even be true at all. So, like, did you see, and yeah, I think you're right, man. Like, there's part of me, there's part of me that wonders if, like, he was actually, like, suffering from like, mad dementia. He just used to go out and walk around the house every day anyway, and his family were like, ah, fuck it, we can use this. But that's just, uh, that's just my mad heat, um, thinking weird shit. But, right, so, what I was going to say was, uh, did you see, like, all the people after he died on Twitter doing, like, like, loads of young photos? There's part of it, there's part of it for me that wonders if, like, it's attention seeking or you know maybe they really did genuinely love captain tom but they were expressing it in really strange ways like did you see the lassie who had like fully painted herself like like her torso and her face and all that to look like captain tom she'd like painted some some medals on her tits and all that and and yeah that, that was that was weird i saw that and you know again to do something like that 
it's again it kind of speaks to the idea that the, he doesn't seem like a person who existed in a lot of people's real reality because like if the queen died and then the same girl was like you know i put on makeup and you know i put on a tiara and i dressed up as the queen people would be like furious <laughs> yeah people people seem to be getting quite into the idea that that lassie painted herself like we we tweeted about it and got a fair bit of like folk defending her which i found quite odd and then like i think i've seen someone who made an entire paper mache head of uh <laughs> captain tom well that's how i like to show my respect look for me it would be much better that like you know if the family said okay we're putting out these Captain Tom like pins that you can put on the lapel or a badge or something. Look, they're cheap, but they cost a fiver, and all the money will go to like Ramsworth Hospital, which treated him in his last dying days or something. Yeah, that seems like something he would like. Yeah, that would seem like a lot more than, you know, you kind of wonder at someone at the age of 100, like, you know, being from that like 1940s generation, you know what he'd kind of make like you know it's not like he ran his own twitter or he was seeing these things but like it would seem so alien and bizarre you know equally like if somehow we at the end of the stream say okay donate money and this ends up making 40 million pounds for like a charity i would find something so bizarre if i suddenly like went down the street and i saw someone wearing like you know a halloween mask of your face jerry it's my dying wish um, that, you know, when I pass away, that people up and down the length and breadth of the country make little, little, little figurines of me out of Play-Doh um, in my memory um, and post it on Twitter. Uh, they, they, they face paint themselves to look like me. Um, that, that perhaps you know they might make sculpt like little little sculptures out of papier mache. That's that's all. That's all I've ever really wanted. Okay. So um, I'm announcing for the <laughs> listeners of this. I'm announcing for the listeners of this just for because of Jerry. I'm announcing the Jerry McCann campaign in which, if you've listened to this, uh, would you please uh, draw a picture of what you think Jerry looks like? Now you can Google him to find out from the non never fake newscast Twitter. But generally, just draw a picture of what you think Jerry might look at. Tweet it at me on Twitter, and I will share them with Jerry. I, like you're, if you Google Jerry McCann, you're going to struggle to get a picture of me. I can tell you that right now. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, that 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 would that would that would cheer me up greatly. So the the other thing that's happened, though, I suppose um, the opposite from people kind of praising, lavishing praise on him and painting themselves, making papier mache images of him, is that a man did a bad tweet, didn't he? Did a bad tweet about Captain Tom. Yes, uh, there is, as you say, a man did a bad tweet. I've seen his name being reported, but equally, I've seen his name being reported mostly via Facebook groups. I haven't actually seen it officially reported inside the media, so I'm not going to say the man's name, just in case it's being false reported. But the tweet is reported to have said, and it's been deleted now, the only good Brit soldier is a deed one. Burn, old fella, burn. It's been reported by the police of Scotland that a 35-year-old man 
was charged in connection with communication offences for posting this. It wasn't a very nice thing to say, was it? It wasn't. And no, it's not something I would go around tweeting myself, but I don't think this is really inciting violence or anything that, you know, would be a chargeable offence. I just think it's someone being an asshole. And, you know, if I saw someone tweet this, I wouldn't want to be their friend and I'd possibly block them. But do you kind of wonder about the police charging them? It's, uh, yeah, it does seem odd to me. Like, definitely, it's a a shitty thing to tweet. Like, the guy's an asshole for doing that, for sure. But, like, at the most, I would have expected them to have been perhaps banned by Twitter. Um, You know, post removed or some sort of um, discipline um, from Twitter. Because I'm sure people complained to Twitter about it. But yeah, it seems it seems an odd one for the the police to be getting involved in. Like, I certainly can think of a myriad of tweets that I've uh, read on on Twitter in my time that have been far more offensive in my eyes, um, far more violent. Like, uh, you know, women are regularly threatened with rape and stuff on on Twitter, and and people aren't arrested for it now. Maybe. There's an element of that that's because he tweeted from his own account, which was clearly marked as him. You know, um, it was obvious who he was, etc. And it was easy to pinpoint rather than from a, an anonymous troll. I don't know if that's yeah. a, if that's part of it. It's, I think it's also the fact that someone reported him to the police because I don't think it was mm. the police independently were going around looking. But I think it's if somebody finds something so grossly offensive they can report it to the police. Right, okay. So this is this is another thing that I found interesting. And, like, I was having this conversation today with, uh, well, like, my wife. If some if somebody phones me um, and threatens to kill me today, so say, say for talking sake, Luke phoned and threatened to kill me. Well, you fucking ruined my podcast with your shite chat, Jerry. I'm going to stab you tomorrow. Um, then... I was to go and phone the police. The police would wouldn't be able to do anything about that. The police would tell would tell me that they can't do anything based on threats, and that's particularly true in the case of domestic violence. Um, this there's there's a whole plethora of cases where women have reported threats of violence, threats of abuse and stuff like that from their spouse or their partner and only to be told by the police that they can't intervene um, based on threats and you know so why why can they intervene based on a tweet I mean, I mean first of all I can guarantee that Captain Tom wasn't offended by that tweet I'd say maybe his family might have been if they were searching it. But equally, looking at this here, it's not like he tagged Captain Tom or his family in the tweet or even mentioned Captain Tom's name. It's not like if his daughter was going around and saying, let's look at the wonderful tributes people are doing to Captain Tom on Twitter, if that's something she wanted to do to cheer herself up, she would have found it. It's yeah. This would be the kind of thing that you'd only have to look up. What is it like, Brit soldier, and then deed? Deed. You'd have to spell. You'd have to spell deed wrongly. Yeah. Burn old fella. Burn. I mean, like most of this is written in Scots, so it's like you'd have to look up the these search terms 
intentionally defined it. It's kind of like someone's seen this and been like, nah, fuck this guy. It's not like the guy had a lot of followers or anything like that either. Like, but yeah, I think I mean, it's obviously some somebody's found it, um, and and then made the point of amplifying it to go, look at this, isn't this terrible? Which it kind of reminds me of. Do you remember when uh, when Russell Brand and Jonathan Ross um, did that thing on the radio where they had like called Andrew Sachs and left him a voicemail? Andrew Sachs being the, the actor who played Manuel in Forty Towers. Um, yes. And, and they sort of like left me jokey songs about the fact that Russell Brand had essentially shagged his granddaughter, right? Um, and the Daily Mail um, and other such shit rags had ran campaigns saying, this is incredibly offensive. Go and, go and listen to this thing, and find which you will find offensive. It's awful. Look how offensive it is. Listen to how offensive it is. Like most of those people would never have come across. It wasn't made for them. You know, it wasn't created for them. From what I can recall that, you know, when it was on uh, Russell Brand's Radio 2 show, Ofcom reported that there had been like one official complaint to Ofcom about like the subject matter of the show. And then like when it was like retweeted by the Daily Mail and all this sort of stuff, you know, and kind of run through the press, then it went up into the thousands. But you kind of wonder, the people at the time listening, only one person was offended enough about it to do something. Yeah, and, and like, you know, generally speaking, there's always going to be some cunt that's going to complain to Ofcom. There's like, or, or, or you know, at some level, if, if you're doing if you're doing comedy um, and you're, you're doing something that's... I mean, like, again, I would say that it was a pretty shitty thing to do, but they were all... But I, I can also be honest and say that when I first listened to that, because I listened to it like the day after it was released or whatever in the car with my mate. I laughed a lot because I found it quite amusing, you know. Um, and ha- that doesn't that doesn't excuse the fact that it was probably quite a shitty thing to do to a, a, you know an aging man about his granddaughter. But at the time, I did laugh and like you know I don't think I don't think the fact that people are offended by something is a good enough reason for it to be banned or, or prosecuted. Um, yeah, you know. I mean, the difference I kind of think is that Russell Brand, Jonathan Ross, like Jonathan Ross lost his like career TV show from it. He also did, he did get a quite a lucrative contract with ITV off the back of it as well, to be fair. But no, you know, the thing is that a lot of people I knew would have watched the Jonathan Ross show and all people I know would watch that ITV show. That's true. That's true. But like, the thing to me is that like, because they were professionals, it affected them in a professional capacity. Like, mm-hmm. for your man, Mister X here, who t- posted the tweet, I could imagine that if he went into work the next day and the boss saw us, he'd be like, "Mate, on your bike, get fucked. We don't want people like you here." But, like, yeah. you know, I can understand it affecting you that way. But, like, for the police to get involved and to be like, no, 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 this is a criminal offense. Now, I'd understand if he said, like, Captain Dom's dead. Let's go up, blow up an army barracks or something like that. And, like, you know, he wasn't being at all hyperbolous. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's incitement. That's incitement to violence, you know. And that's, that's part of the law. Even in talking about that... There's what you call the Twitter joke trial from like uh, 2012, where mm-hmm. there was a guy called Paul Chambers, 
and what he tweeted was crap robin hood airport is closed you've got a week and a bit to get your shit together otherwise i'm blowing the airport sky high but i don't right is that a joke like am i missing something to I was expecting some sort of clever wordplay or something, but is it just it's just like a stupid shit joke? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, no. I mean, like this is what I tweeted. Again, I'll read it <laughs> a bit more time just in case. Like, uh, just in case I've missed some subtle nuance. Crap! Robin Hood Airport is closed. You've got a week and a bit to get your shit together. Otherwise, I'm blowing the airport sky high. Where, where, where's Robin Hood Airport? They're Nottingham. Oh, I mean, that would make sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, so, I really was, should have, I should have assumed that. I didn't know there was an airport in Nottingham, but there you go. It was some twenty-six-year-old lad who kind of like he was supposed to be flying to Northern Ireland for like a weekend break, and was closed due to like ice on the runway, and he sent that. But uh, then basically, he ended up getting arrested for it. But he kind of like it went into the courts and kind of went to like appeal three times till it was right. kind of dismissed because they said like. It wasn't considered like a credible threat. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, because generally terrorists don't don't usually go on Twitter before they carry out atrocities and warn everybody. Yeah, that's and and as far as I'm aware, it seems like a, a bad kind of game plan if you want to be a successful terrorist. Yeah, I mean, like it's equally the thing that I've heard is like. You know, if somebody was to ring me up and say, like, I'm going to kill you, well, that is a death threat. By the fact that they've actually rang me, it considerably lowers the chance that they're actually going to murder me. Because, like, if yeah, somebody's going yeah. to murder you, the chances are they're going to just keep their mouth closed and just do it. Just stone cold come up and stab you in the throat yeah. from behind. Well, believe it or not, the number one person who was arguing for... Uh, who was arguing for this young man, Paul Chambers, according to this, was television writer Graham Lenehan. Oh, <laughs> 10 years changes your perspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, like, I would say, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not even going to get into Graham Lenehan because we'll be here all fucking day. Yeah. But, like, I'm not, I, w- I wouldn't say, like, I'm a free speech absolutionist um, by any manner of means, but I would. I would say, like, I I lean um, towards advocating free speech. Like, I don't think that, that that freedom of speech means freedom of consequence, um, you know. But but I do I do believe that unless you are sort of spouting hate speech against um, specific groups of people and you're inciting violence and stuff, then you know you should be allowed a certain freedom of expression. Now, that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that Twitter, as a private company, are are going to sit by and, and just let anybody say whatever they want on their platform. Because ultimately, it's their bar, and they can uh, they can take it home and and say games the games the games called off any time they like, um, and they can refuse to let you play if you're not playing by their rules. That's again completely fair. But I just can't see what in this guy's tweet um, is worse. Like, I can think of like lots of females, lots of females in the public eye um, 
politicians, people like Nicholas Sturgeon or um, uh, like Rebecca Long Bailey or um, Pratty Patel, you'll see awful things written about them on a, on a daily basis, which to me are, are far more offensive than this. I get, like you say, it wasn't written directly to Captain Tom. He wasn't tagged in on it. I didn't mention him by name. I believe I'm right in saying that it screenshotted a story announcing his death. So it had like a picture of him and stuff. And it was like, it was a, it was a, comment on that screenshot so it was it was very obviously about captain tom but as you say it wasn't it, it would have taken a lot of effort for a member of his family to went out and find it without the amplification stuff of of other people you know um yeah if if it hadn't been seen by the right person essentially it would have fell by the wayside nobody would have been any the wiser one of his mates might have told him to wise up and that would have been the end of it yeah i mean like it kind of comes down to the concept that there's like some sort of like gross public indecency, like, you know, bringing up two more examples. You've got like, for instance, uh, the Glasgow bin lorry where a guy called Ross Lorraine was arrested, but then later just charged, just warned because a bin lorry ran into people in Glasgow because the brakes failed. And what he simply said was, so a bin lorry has crashed into a hundred people in Glasgow, eh? Probably more trash than it's picked up in one day. That, and you're like, yeah, that's a really shitty thing to say. And you know, fuck you. But like, <laughs> I don't think it's arrestable. Yeah. I mean, like, no. I mean, I've heard a lot, as you say, I've heard jokes which are very off color in the past, and you know, it just it just seems like a weird one that like you just be like, people making these jokes are kind of like a good kind of like red flag this isn't the person you want to hang out with well uh, interestingly enough in that particular instance the the guy um was for sunderland but there was there was two other people who the the newspapers kind of honed, honed in on um and a daily record article that i was i was looking at i think one of the guys had posted it in the discord chat um who were like Scottish and under Police Scotland jurisdiction. I don't know if it was Police Scotland who yeah. charged, was it Police Scotland who charged the guy for Sunderland? Yes, it was him. And I've got the article open. There's another guy called Matt Denny who referred to an elaborate Skittle show. Yeah, he wasn't prosecuted. There was another guy in it who, like, I love the, the, the wording um, in the newspaper. Like, it's proper tabloid sensationalism. It's hilarious. Like, they call they call Matt Denny uh, something something ridiculous like uh, the a mad clown or something like that. Um, Matt Denny, and then the other the other a guy tattooed clown, tattooed clown. Yeah, the other guy they refer to they call him deranged um, something or other as well um, when they talk about his 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 Twitter joke. But yeah, like it's I don't know, man. It just kind of it kind of reminds me of like mad puritanical like um sort of uh, christian fervor at um at you know something which is is considered to be offensive and, and wrong sinful almost you know it's uh oh my god my ears my ears uh, are, are appalled 
to have heard this, but but I think in some level, these the people who are who are writing this news knows that this shit sells papers, right? And all they need to do is is put it in quotes. And then it's titillating and scintillating and people, oh, I'm, I'm so offended by this. Oh, I, I wish I hadn't heard it, but I want to read more. I want to be more angry. Um, you know, like it's like taking Frankie Boyle jokes out of context and, and putting them in a newspaper, which has happened on plentiful occasions. Like the one the one he said on Mock the Week years ago about, about um, the Queen, like things you won't hear the, the Queen in the Queen's speech or something like that. And it was, uh, um, and on my... This year was my 80th birthday, and I'm now I'm now so old my pussy is haunted. There was a, a really weird situation where um, Emily uh, Maitlis was like on Newsnight, like reading this out, like out of context with a stern face, like that exact joke verbatim. We like <laughs> just just to to a, a commentator to say. Is that funny? Is that funny that he said that? You know, it's it's really yeah. weird. <laughs> I mean, like the fact that comedy comes from like timing and like you know yeah. context, like almost anything that you look at without context, you know, any form of comedy, you'll be like, and why is that funny? Because you're not pitching the draw joke. You haven't done the setup. You haven't actually worked the room. You haven't done any of this. But like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the last example I was going to bring up, and I know you've covered it in your podcast, and I'm slightly confused about his name because I've seen it written either as Marcus or Mark Meacham, a.k.a. Count Dankula, who Beacon. made a video called Your Dog's a Nazi, mate. Uh. And, yeah, what was your take on that situation where Marcus was arrested for getting his girlfriend's pug dog to do an to raise its right paw doing a kind of mock hitler salute whenever he said Zeke heil um all right so marcus meekin he's from uh he's he's from coat bridge but he he's married now to a lassie from around our area who's like friendly with our some of our um, associates, group of friends, and stuff like that. So, so there are, there is a kind of personal context there. And I would also like to say that my views on this do not necessarily represent my co-host on the podcast views on this because Paul, I know, feels differently. Um, now, Marcus ultimately like used this to make quite a lot of money out of the sort of right wing, the alt-right online and stuff like that. And I think that his political views certainly do not chime in mind. I think he's a bit of an edgelord and a bit of a wank, potentially, as well. However, I still think that the video in and of itself um, is probably fine. You know, I mean, I mean, it's like it's offensive, yes. Um, but like, for me, clearly, a little pug lifting its leg when he says "see Kyle." Um, I think the joke, the joke was supposed to be that that would really anger his partner at the time, right? Um, who who had this wee cute dog. And he was making it do like essentially one of the most awful things that you can think of, which is to, yeah. 
you know, support um, a horrific regime which done untold damage to the Jewish community and stuff like that. And I can understand why, as a Jewish person, you might consider that to be off limits for comedy. However, I would direct you to things like, um, you know, the worky uh, shit. What's his fucking name? Blazing Saddles. Um, Mel Brooks. Yeah, the work of Amel Brooks, a prominent Jewish man who has made many jokes about about the Nazis and stuff like that, and his uh, and for example, his musical, the the, the producers, um, I would I would point you towards uh, Barry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm, who's made jokes about the Nazis and Hitler and stuff uh, regularly. You know, there's 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 a there's a long line of Jewish comedians poking fun at at this stuff, and and you know the reason for that, I think, is like. Humor's a defense mechanism in a lot of ways, and uh, to point out the ridiculousness of Hitler as an individual, because he was a ridiculous individual, you know, yeah. like the bluster, the rhetoric, and stuff like that. The his his entire his entire uh, persona was ridiculous, you know, and to take him seriously when he's acting like that is to give him some sort of gravitas and to give him some sort of. Uh, pathos, some sort of status that for me he doesn't deserve like he deserves to be made fun of he deserves to be shown to be a ridiculous person and uh, and like a little pug mimicking him to me, does it's, it's not the way that like, that you would show your uh, undying allegiance to the guy it's, it's a way of sort of pointing out the sort of faint ridiculousness of it and also I think it, you know it was clearly it, the, the joke of it at the time was to to be like oh my, my missus is going to hate the fact that I've trained her dog to do this because it's a really offensive thing and I've done it on purpose for a laugh um, yeah. I can understand why people were offended by it but they didn't need to watch it and I disagree that he should have been uh, prosecuted in any way for it I think he had terrible legal representation because the argument which he, that was given in court was was nowhere near the one that I just gave. It was some ridiculous shit. Like I, he didn't expect anybody to see it when he put it on YouTube, which is obviously bollocks. But I thought it was. I thought the story of it was that he had sent it to seven friends and someone else had uploaded it, or was it that he had thought he was uploading it privately and then he just sent the link out to the general public? Yeah, I, I mean, I just I don't buy that to be honest with you. But I mean, it might be true. But like, given the fact that he's he clearly has courted um, attention and made lots of videos and content and stuff since, and I think I had previously, I I think that that's bullshit personally. Well, you know, in that situation, you take the money and run. I mean, like, I would kind of agree with you that like, I think it all depends to me on the context that like. I would feel very differently about this if, for instance, this person had tweeted Captain Tom directly, you know, mm -hmm. at Captain Tw Tom, ha, 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 die, a bastard, or whatever. Like, yeah. that would seem different to me. But, like, equally, you know, if uh, Marcus Meacham had, like, I don't know, sent that video to the Holocaust Museum, but even then, it probably wouldn't be that. It uh, wouldn't be the same, but it's like... The fact that they're kind of doing this in their own kind of space, I kind of think that if you have to go and look them up, like, you know, it's fairly easy to block someone. I mean... But I would say I think they're different also. I do think they're different. Like, I think I think the 
the thing that the, the guy that we're not going to name who's in trouble for the Captain Tom thing. I think that's different from what the Dank Killer guy did, Mar- Marcus Meekin did, or even yes. the kind of joke um, that the Robin Hood guy made, or even the one that the the guy made um, in Sunderland. The what did you say his name was? Ross Lorraine. I can understand why he was angry. Yeah. Got a shitty surname. Um, he sounds like a bad uh, TV presenter. <laughs> but but so that I don't think I don't think there's an equivalence there. And like I I wouldn't condone the tweet about Captain Tom in any way, shape, or form. I think it deserves to be deleted and never seen again. I don't think it's funny in any way, shape, or form. I don't think it is necessarily comparable to those other ones that we're talking about. I just don't think it's prosecutable. The Nottingham Airport one would be the only one that I would see as prosecutable because it's the only one really inciting anything. Like, you know, the only good yeah. British Brit soldier is a dead is a deed one. I mean, it's not like he's saying, like, you know, and join Hezbollah or something, you know? Yes. Yeah. Like, to me, this is kind of like where it's kind of gotten a bit ridiculous and kind of past the point. But, yeah, well, uh, I think that this has fairly covered the topic. So thank you very much, Jerry, for coming on and talking to me for the last hour about Captain Tom. It's certainly an interesting situation that, like, you know, how people have reacted to him and, like, how certain people have had such, like, an adverse reaction to him. <laughs> I would put it down as dressing up as Madeleine McCann for Halloween it's not something you should do. It's not something advisable. It's not something I would endorse you to do. And it's something that could definitely affect your future job prospects and relationship prospects if people associate it with you. But I don't think you should go to jail for it. I think that's fair, man. Thanks very much for, for having me. I'm sorry if I talk too much. No, no, no. I'm glad you came on. So uh, is there anything you'd like to plug, Jerry? Uh, yeah, I mean, just just come and listen to our podcast. Um, it's it's not another fake newscast. Uh, you can find it on any any podcast app. Either search for not another fake newscast or N A F N C, and our website is not another fake newscast dot com. So, uh, and we're at PGM Cast on like all social media essentially. So, have a look there if you want to hear more of our shit. Okay, thank you very much, and. This episode should be shortly followed by another one, which I've recorded with Shane from Disaster Artists. <laughs> okay, well, thanks very much for coming on, and I uh, hope to hear from you guys soon. Remember the Jerry story competition, so if you want to draw a picture of what you think Jerry looks like, please send it to me on Twitter, and I will share it with Jerry, because this is his living dream. So I'll talk to you later. Bye, guys! <laughs>